Hey, Gunner. Hey, Dave. How are you? All right. So, you know, we just got back from the Red Hat Summit, and uh, there were no comic books there. Not a single one. No. No. And uh, But I, I did run into Dan Walsh, and he's actually working on a, a book with words in it. Really? He's graduated from comic books to uh, to prose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 He's, he's like... Uh, regular old uh, Hemingway, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we got him on the line to tell him all about, uh, for him to tell us all about his, uh, the book he's working on and, and a way for people to get their own copies. So, hey, Dan, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Good, good to talk with you. I, I actually did work on another coloring book and I, I had it all set to go before the, uh, um, before the pandemic started, so uh, never, never actually got it uh, fully published. But uh, uh -huh. so at a certain point, I decided to actually try to dump everything in my brain down on uh, Google Docs and eventually onto pieces of paper. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, so what is this? Is it uh, this like historical fiction? Tell us, tell us about this book. Is sci-fi? Uh, yes, it's a, it's a horror horror story about my. Uh, Career with containers. No, uh, <laughs> I, uh, nice. I actually wrote uh, the, the name of the book is Podman in Action. So we started working on Podman, you know, four or five, six years ago, and um, um, you know we've been growing it and growing the project for a long, long time. And uh, so we decided, you know, I've been a very big proponent of blogging for many, many years going back to when I first started on SE Linux and trying to get people to understand how technologies work. And so we continued that with the Podman effort. And I had my me and my entire team was constantly trying to put out articles and stuff. And um, eventually some people came to us and said, you know, came to me and said, could you put, you know, sort of group all these together so people had one source of information for um you know, information about Podman and, you know, things like container security and ways containers work. And um, so I decided to start, you know, working to consolidate all the different articles I had written and, you know, rewrite them in, in more of a book form. Eventually, I hooked up with Manning um, mm -hmm. Publishing, and uh, they they were very excited about a book on Podman and uh, started working with them last September. And now we're um, we basically published what's called a MEEP, Manning Early Access Platform or Program. Mm -hmm. and people can actually pre-buy the book and then read the first, I think there's four chapters and uh, four or five chapters and about four appendixes that are available now. And the whole book is pretty much written, but it's going through the review process at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you buy the MEEP, I think you get access to the the um, I don't know virtual book, and then you could also pay a little bit extra for a physical book. Mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to be published, you know, really published sometimes this sometime this summer. Nice. Uh, and this, I know, it's about there's a lot lot of pages in it. Anyways, it's uh, <laughs> it's eleven chapters and five appendixes, and each one of the appendixes is almost the size of a chapter. So uh, this is this uh, about three hundred pages of wow of content. Well, when I was in college, I can remember uh, any course I'd take, the first thing I would look to see is how long of a paper I would have to write for the class. And it was more than five pages I was out. And so to <laughs> write this much content is uh, was a, rather a big struggle. But uh, you know, once you get rolling, and yeah, uh, it moved along. So are you like using like really big fonts and, and doing the word count all the time? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Count the words per page. Uh, no. Change of margins. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, big fancy uh, drawings and things too. Yeah. So yeah, I got you know they put the coloring books, each one of the coloring books a page, and that that takes up a page. But no, <laughs> uh, so it, yeah, it's just if if it, you're really going back to the blogs I've written over the years, and then 
as I said, taking those apart, adding more and more content, and then trying to, you know, Manning likes to do it uh, where it's sort of a learning exercise for the people reading the book. And so mm -hmm. trying to walk people through the different steps of, you know, running a container. There's a, I think it's a really great chapter just uh, comparing uh, Docker and Podman to each other and all the additional features that Podman has, you know, compared to Docker. So there's a lot of nice charts and things that um, I put together in the book. And uh, I think, think it's pretty good. So, yeah. uh, you know, now, now I got to fit, you know, convince Red Hat to, uh, you know, buy some and hand them out at different conferences and stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back in front of people and, uh, you know, trying, uh, talking about the, Podman, I think, you know, obviously, I think Podman is a, a unbelievably great tool now. Uh, um, you know, we always used to talk about ourselves as, you know, comparing us to Docker, but um, I think we fast surpassed some of the features of Docker at this point, uh, mm -hmm. especially around our support for, you know, uh, using Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the real key things about uh, Podman is, you know, now we support, you know, a lot of people like Docker Compose and stuff. And, uh, so about a year and a half ago, we added a service to Podman. So, you know, you can basically do on-demand services and mm -hmm. that allows us to support Docker Compose to talk to a Podman, to launch Podman containers. So you don't need Docker at all, You can, but you can still use your Docker Compose scripts. Yeah. But uh, that's, you know, to me, that's uh, a nice feature. But what I really, my real goal is to get people to stop using Compose YAML and start using Kubernetes YAML. So... Mm -hmm. uh, with Podman, we've we've added all the uh, very similar to uh, Docker Compose, but we have Podman Play Kube, which mm -hmm. basically allows you to take Kubernetes YAML files and run them underneath Podman, and actually you know get the you know take your if you have Kubernetes uh, uh, pods and containers running, you can take them and launch them directly with Podman. You can then do your development and then. Podman has a tool called Podman Generate Kube, which will take you running pods and containers and actually generate Kubernetes YAML file. So our goal is to allow you to easily move back and forth between your, say, OpenShift, Kubernetes, and local Podman um, you know, running of the same type of container. So uh, think of a developer working in Podman world, and then he moves to Kubernetes, and then mm -hmm. What's wrong in Kubernetes? He can actually take the contain containers back to his local you know, workstation and just run them, run them locally, um, and use the same language back and forth. So, yeah, I was going to say real quick, we went pretty far down the rabbit hole, but maybe remind everybody what what Podman is. Yeah, so Podman's. I mean, the name of it is uh, is a pod manager, um, and and really what you know originally we did Podman, we used to say alias, you know. Podman equals Docker, and and what we wanted to do is take uh, Docker uh, over time became standardized. So there was a standard way of running uh, containers and standardized images. So all the images that are existed Docker IO and Quay.io um, that there's standards for that called the uh, it's part of the OCI Open Container Initiative. Um, so what those images how they're stored is all standardized, and how you run those containers so when i you know when you go out uh, say with docker and pull down an image and then launch it the final step of running a container is launching what's called an oci runtime um and so what we did with podman is we implemented pretty much the the standards and run the containers the same way docker did um, when we were designing podman we wanted to uh, we didn't want to generate our own different uh command line tools so we actually took everything that Docker did, all the tool, all the commands that Docker did, and we implemented them, re-implemented them in Podman. One key difference between Podman and Docker is that um, Docker is uh, requires a root running daemon. Um, they do claim now that they run in rootless mode, but no one really does that. Uh, whereas Podman out of the box uh, is runs like normal Linux processes, it uses a fork exec model. Um, so containers are actually child's children of the Podman command, whereas Docker, you know, when you run the Docker client, the containers are actually a child of the Docker daemon, um, and the Docker daemon's running as root. Um, because we support the fork exec model, and we have really good support for user namespace, we can run, run most of our containers run great rootless mode, uh, which basically you know, really means that you get no more privilege than a normal user account. 
And a lot of enterprise customers and, you know, HPC, high performance computing, and lots and lots of people really love the idea of running rootless containers. And that sort of um, caused Podman to take off in popularity um, in, in that type of environment. Um, so, you know, right now, if anybody asks in Twitter or in, in the internet, what's an alternative to Docker, the answer is always Podman. Um, now, Podman can, can run this rootful and rootless, um, and we're able to support, you know, pretty much everything that um, Docker can do. If you build images with Podman, you can push them to Docker IO, and then Docker can run them. You can run them inside of Kubernetes, whether it's uh, OpenShift Kubernetes or upstream uh, Kubernetes or any one of the cloud vendors. Um, so that everything in the container world has been standardized. But mm -hmm. as we worked with Podman, we've you know, we built into Podman, you know, the sort of the key features that Docker had, and then we wanted to add sort of special features of, of enterprise. And that's why we added like Kubernetes support. Uh, we also have very good integration, excellent integration into System D. Um, and if people, years ago, I used to give a talk called Docker versus System D and talk about how, um, the people working building up Docker didn't like System D, and System D didn't like Docker, and there was this you know divide between two key parts of of um, the way people are running processes on an operating system. And, and Podman's embrace System D, um, you know, especially where we don't have a daemon, we use System D as our you know sort of our quasi daemon for um, launching processes at boot, launching containers at boot time, using timers and doing, you know, automatic restarts, things like mm -hmm. that. Podman is heavily integrated with systemd. Um, and even Podman can generate systemd unit files out of existing containers. And mm -hmm. so this, you know, we really look at, uh, you know, in my opinion, Podman embraces the operating system. You know, I mean, some of the background I have is as an oper operating system engineer. Um, and Whereas Docker, I always tell people Docker was sort of developed as a um, as a web REST API was the goal when, when they developed Docker. So it came that that was more like the way web developers would develop a a tool for running containers. Whereas Podman was built from the ground up from way operating system engineers would would develop a, a tool to run containers on a system. So they came from two different. Uh, you know, that's that's a little bit of background and that's all the you know types of stuff i talk about in the book um you know several chapters on you know just the way that the command line works and um the tool works um and then dig into system d and kubernetes and eventually a couple of chapters on container security which of course i uh, love to talk about that so mm -hmm. uh, so that's really what uh the talk yeah you know, the book is about um, and I think if you, uh, you know, look at the book, um, you know, you'll learn a lot more about uh, the way containers work and you'll le learn a lot more about what way Podman, I mean, way Docker works as well. So mm -hmm. um, I try to cover um, everything I know about containers in it. <laughs> so Dan, it, was, it sounds like, was the goal of Podman to replace Docker, but or was the goal of Podman to make it easier to move to Kubernetes eventually? Yeah, my, my one of the goals was to allow, basically to give an alternative to Docker. Mm -hmm. I don't like to say, I, you know, I don't have any ill will, will towards Docker and Docker is, uh, the Podman is sort of like a different Linux distribution is to Red Hat. Right. Um, so I, don't, I look at it as, you know, we somewhat work on the same types of technology. I just wanted to give people an alternative. Um, and you know, my main problems with Docker were always around you know, the, the root running daemon. And I felt that we could do it more securely than, than that. Um, and so that, that's sort of where we came from. Um, the Kubernetes stuff was again, you know, similar that you know, I, my, my uh, group in Red Hat is OpenShift. So, um, you know, one of you know we I work on not just Podman but all the container tools including Cryo which is part of uh, OpenShift. We use Cryo as a container engine that you know we use for Kubernetes, and Podman was part of that group. So Podman and Cryo share the same type of content. Um, but uh, where I look at Podman is is more towards developer in the single uh, single host use case. So people want to run. 
just containers in a single host and don't need it to be orchestrated. Whereas, you know, the other tools, Cryo is more optimized for running hundreds of or thousands of containers underneath Kubernetes. Um, and Cryo was built around the Kubernetes protocol, whereas Podman was built, you know, again, more, more towards developers and application <laughs> and administrators who want to run single single services or, you know, single servers. Um, now, now I've been pushing a lot towards Podman and um, towards, you know, the edge, edge use cases. So, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, hits a sweet spot uh, when you look at, uh, you know, sort of rel for edge and the mm -hmm. IOT communities. Um, if you compare, you know, if you launch up a uh, edge device, an edge server somewhere, you really want the container to be running on there, but you really don't want to have a whole lot of other infrastructure um, needed to be running all the time. Now, if you ran, you know, Docker to run your containers on an edge device, you have the Docker daemon, you have container D, you have all these services running. Uh, whereas if you just use Podman, Podman comes up, you know, assembles the container, launches the container, and then Podman goes away. And you're now all, all you have running on the system is, is your actual processes of the container. Um, and uh, so we built Podman around uh, taking care of that use case. Um, there's kind of a cool feature in Podman, again, with this integration with System D uh, called Podman Auto Update. And this um, basically allows you to take a, a node and run a system, you know, generate a system D unit file that runs your service. And what Podman will do is periodically via a system D timer will wake up and go out and check to see if there's a new image available for your container at a registry. If there is, it will download that image onto your, onto the system in the background. And at some point, basically recreate the container that's running your service and launch the new container so you can have automatic updates without any human beings being involved in it not only that but it has um, the idea of health checks running so podman will run health checks to um, basically check to make sure the new container came up properly and if the new container fails for any reason the health checks fail what they can do then is, is reverse reverse it and basically launch the you know launch the container off of the old image um, and then remove the new image and then obviously send a, uh, a note back to uh, the mothership and say, you know, there's something wrong with that image. It won't work properly. And so now you can really, you know, our goal is to allow you to have, um, you know, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of nodes running, um, you know, containers and not have to, you know, go out to them all the time. And uh, but these again, we're looking at edge devices versus sort of uh, systems that are in the cloud that are more of the Kubernetes workload. Um, so you know, these we're really looking at you know, say the you know machine machines out at uh, remote sites, um, you know, like windmills and train tracks and potentially automobiles, things like that. Um, is where I see a lot of this technology um, that that technology going. Yeah, I know. I saw it when I was at, when we were at Summit last week. Ton of conversations about Edge, and people were very excited that kind of the combination of um, using Podman to run the containers, which gives you that kind of failback capability, yeah. and then having uh, RPM OS tree, which is that CoreOS technology um, that we've got in the um, that we've got in RHEL, who they can do the same thing for the hosts. So now you've got a safe way to update hosts, and you have a safe way to update containers, right. and uh, the kids love it. They love it. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's the perfect way to run Edge is to have the operating system um, be able to be updated at, at, with a different li uh, life cycle and time frame than the individual containers. So having, I think the combination of Podman and, and um, you know RHEL for Edge CoreOS um, is the perfect way to go. Um, yeah. And you know, we're we're heavily looking into how we can continue to enhance that. One of the other things with uh, similar to that is a lot, a lot of push for um, Podman on on Mac and Podman on Windows. A lot of people want to run containers um, on their developer platform, and, and sadly, uh, we haven't won the Linux desktop just yet. But I'm sure it's going to be any year now. Uh, but uh, some people actually believe in running uh, 
they want to run on a Mac or a, a Windows box, but they want to build Linux containers. And um, Linux containers don't run, obviously, natively on Macs and Windows. So um, one of the things we've added to Podman is the, the command we call, we call Podman Machine, uh, which allows you to uh, launch a virtual machine and then Podman can work with the Podman natively on a Mac or Windows box. We'll talk to Podman running inside of the virtual machine and launch containers for you. And it's, it, it gives you the look and feel as if you're running the you know containers natively in Windows and natively in Mac, but you're really launching and communicating with processes inside of the VM. Um, and uh, so we had to choose an operating system for managing the um, uh, you know, the, the virtual machine and we want core OS. Uh, currently it's Fedora core OS. Um, and so we've sort of been living that life cycle, lifestyle of all the, um, Podmans and that we have running in, in windows and Mac right now are really working uh, with core OSs and, and potentially sometime in the future, maybe that this will be something, uh, you know, we might see a different operating system on there. Um, uh, yeah. Potentially. So anyways, I, I can't make any promises, especially with uh, you two sitting here. So, <laughs> uh, so anyways, that's, that's, you know, we're, we're working heavily on, you know, all areas of that. Uh, now last, this, uh, last September, um, we had a huge spike in the interest in Podman on a Mac and windows because uh, Docker announced that they were going to start charging for what they call the Docker desktop. And Docker Desktop and Docker Machine is very similar to what Podman Machine does now. Um, and um, so I think Docker said any company more than 100 employees that uses Docker has to pay them X dollars a month to use the service. And, you know, again, Podman is a fully open and fully free, um, free as in bear um, software and uh, as well as free as in liberty. Um, so we have Podman on Mac and Windows, and it's totally able to be used um, for free. And so there's currently a, a lot of people are asking me when's Podman Desktop coming, which they mean a GUI uh, for Podman. So if you go to GitHub containers slash Podman dash desktop, there is a heavy development going on right now on a GUI um, to sort of uh, wrap Podman machine up and uh, some fancy graphics and things like that. And uh, uh, that'll be native on, I, I think you can download it now, uh, but we haven't had a release of it yet. Um, so that should be available for Mac and Windows as well, um, as well as Linux. So for, for those people who don't want to live in a terminal window like I do, uh, <laughs> they can awesome. launch, launch some graphics. Yeah, no, that's great. Is it, Dan, I'm wondering, if, um, you know, your history, as long as I've known you, uh, you've been, you know, you kind of started being the SE Linux guy and then you made, and then you kind of turned into the container guy. And I'm wondering, I know that you're, you're a security guy like us. Um, and I wonder, were there any lessons you learned from your experience on SE Linux that now apply to Podman, the Podman development, just in terms of like how the project was organized or kind of technical choices that, that you all have made? Yeah. The, um, well, uh, yeah, number one, have container on by have security on by default, and force people <laughs> to turn off security. Uh, I always tell people, no one, no one uh, turns up security on anything. Right? No one uh, locks their doors until the house has been broken into. No one uh, puts steel bars on their windows until you know they've been robbed. Um, and same thing in computer security, right? You, you, no, no one's asking how do I turn SC Linux on. They're asking how do I turn it off. Um, so I'd like to have security on by default, security in depth, um, and that, you know, that's basically over, you know, I've been working over 40 years in, in application security. Um, so that I've taken those thoughts and, and moved it into, its, uh, you know, the way we've designed and built uh, our container engines now. Um, matter of fact, the, the, the coloring book that never got printed and maybe someday will was, was called the Goldilocks coloring book. And, and the basic theme of, of what I was trying to write there was uh, right now, when I look at container security, it's, it's sort of at the Goldilocks, right? It's not too tight where people have to turn it off and it's not too loose where it adds a little value. 
Um, and so it's sort of where Goldilocks is. And the, the theme of the coloring book was how do I move everybody towards Papa Bear, right? How do I make things a little tighter? How do I, how do I, and, and that's, you know, what I continuously look for in, in the world of containers is how do I make things more secure? How, do, how can I um, improve security? So uh, one of the things we're really going to start pushing with, with Podman now is the use of use the namespace even to a higher degree than we currently do and trying to convince people to, um, you know, uh, for those that don't know, user namespace is the ability to um, remap um, UIDs in, in a container. And so when we talk about rootless containers, you need to be able to run, uh, usually inside of some containers, you're gonna need to run this root, um, have UID zero. And what user namespace allows you to do is to set up uh, UID equals zero inside of a container, but not be UID equals zero outside of the container. Um, and so you could, uh, in modern Linux systems, now you can map 65,000 UIDs to each container where each one of them has a unique set of UIDs. So if they break out of that containment, they're treated as you know UID 1 million or whatever. Um, and so with user namespace, we get you know, really, really powerful isolation based on UIDs from other processes on the system, and and they don't have the power of root at all in the system. Um, and so, right now, rootless containers are, are all like that, except for the rootless containers all run in the same user namespace, and rootful containers tend to run in the same user namespace. And we've added functionality to automatically pick out different ranges of UIDs, so each each uh, container and pod can run in a separate uh, user namespace and, and isolate it from each other. Other things uh, that are coming down the road, and this is real sort of experimental stuff, Intel and and uh, AMD are introducing these new powerful chips on their systems that actually allow us to run encrypted uh, VMs or encrypted um, uh, KVM environments um, where root on the host can't even see what's going on inside of the container. Um, and so uh, it's called confidential computing. So I, I can imagine uh, in the not too distant future, people launching Podman containers where the host system, um, you know, wouldn't be able to interrogate what's going on inside of the container, um, which might sound scary to some people, but others, if you, if you think about it, if I broke out of a container um, and somehow got to root on the host and all the other containers were running in encrypted mode, then even though I have full control over the host, I wouldn't be able to even look at what the containers are doing on the system. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always uh, I've talked to Dave a few times that I think this is an interesting use case for, you know, the Department of Defense and uh, uh, people really want to uh, have strong isolation um, mm -hmm. environments. So, so these are things that, I continue to monitor and work with uh, in the virtualization space and the kernel space of, of upstream and, and see how we can take advantage of some of these new features that are coming down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that helping with, you know, increasing cloud adoption where you may want to have a sensitive workload but may not necessarily uh, trust the cloud provider, uh, whether it's a region or um, insider threat or, or things like that. You know, there are different people yeah. have different levels of comfort. Yeah, that that that's uh, actually how they uh, the people that were working on it usually think about it. But I always think of it. I look at it the, the other way, and uh, uh, I've always said if I can touch a computer, I can probably hack into it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just by booting up in single user mode and you know getting to root and, and well, taking out the disk and and, and turning off SE Linux. Yeah. So. So I look at it as a solution for edge edge computing, um, also where where you know if I have a a computer tied to a to a windmill somewhere and Joe random person can come up and touch that uh, that uh, virtual machine, or, I mean that physical machine, he can hack into it. And and mm -hmm. a proof case for that is you know one of the biggest problems. Uh, people have in automotive right now is, is people hacking into the computers running in their cars and mm -hmm. starting to install and add new software to it. So um, if you th think about it, it's like, well, how do we protect um, those machines? Well, if those machines booted up in such a way that they could measure themselves 
and make sure that you know no one's put it on the hack software in it and that that you know somehow that secret or the proof that they haven't been hacked could be sent out to a centralized server then the centralized server could basically hand down a container image and the data associated with the image and allow you to launch a container in an encrypted mode and now if someone did break into the you know into the automobile computer system or um you know, one of these edge devices, they still wouldn't be able to muck around with the application that's running inside of the container. Mm-hmm. And uh, even even if they're full root on the system and with, you know, God forbid, SE Linux disabled, and, you know, the, but this gives you the heightened level of security. So it's sort of the next level. Um, now, you know, uh, I've seen, seen demonstrations of this and uh, it's really, really powerful, but uh, it's going to take a f- couple of years for you know the intel hardware and the um, amd hardware to get out there um and so that this could be taken advantage of but i i see this in the next year or two as uh, becoming a very powerful uh, way of running containers mm-hmm. no and i can imagine too it's physical access to drones and things like that that yeah. you know you don't want your adversary to get physical access to whatever right so imagine payload yeah, yeah. yeah. you had a, if you had a drone that could identify where the, you know, where people in the field are, or, you know, had had video on it showing, you know, what's going on. That you know, you definitely don't want that falling into uh, adversaries' hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, and the algorithms too. Right. Sure. It's software and data that you have to worry about. Yeah. So let me ask you about let's to the book writing part. You know, you said you started the book in September. Uh, we're in mid-May right now. How do you, like, you, you're on the hamster wheel of, of pushing the technology with Podman. Yeah. How much rework do you have to do? Or do you reach a point where it's like, all right, this is, you know, you're, you're going to, the, the book edition is going to, you know, talk about older technologies just because you, you would never get the book out. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, as soon as the book is published, it's out of date, right? So that, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes I worry about that. Um, but, uh, you know, pretty much I've, I've been trying to talk about what's latest and greatest and not necessarily about what's coming in the future. Uh, but, I, I mean, I think the basics are going to be covered uh, in the book and, you know, it, it will lead you to being able to fa- find out where additional stuff is, is coming. And maybe two or three years from now, I run the write the second edition or something. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the, the working on the book is t- takes a lot of time. Um, so it's... Uh, a lot, a lot of early morning. Good thing I'm a, I wake up about five o'clock in the morning, and um, usually I don't want to bother anybody, so I, I do uh, computer work. And so I've been writing the book from five to say seven, seven thirty each morning uh, for mm-hmm. the last uh, ten months or so. Uh, and and I, I call it my third job. So I uh, uh, take care of the stuff around the house, and then uh, I have my the real job, the one that pays me uh, the money, you know, Red Hat. So I have to make sure I give them. Uh, a solid number of hours as well. So uh, I'm happy to have the book uh, just about done at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as far as accessibility to Podman, is it like, oh, I pull, uh, pull down my Linux distribution of choice and then I go to a website and pull down Podman or is it in most Linux distributions already? Yeah, we've uh, It's available in just about any Linux distribution. I mean, I've, I've not heard of any that it isn't available in, uh, so there's a lot. It has a pretty big community. We have, uh, I, I think, it's, I don't know, it's like 15, uh, let me go check the uh, thousands and thousands of likes. Um, and, um, yeah, it's available for all Linux distributions, Ubuntu, Debian, all versions of RHEL, uh, CentOS Stream, uh, Fedora. Um, right now, there's uh, starred nearly fourteen thousand stars, hundreds of thousands of forks. Uh, so it's, uh, I think there's, I think last time it was five six hundred contributors. So it's uh, it's a pretty active. And uh, some of the talks I've been doing on it show that it's a, a lot more active than the upstream Docker is at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Um, so you know, there's a lot of excitement around it, and uh, it, you know, as I said, it continues continues to develop and uh, move forward. That's great. What, what uh, 
as you got all these contributors and all these forks and whatnot, um, do you have like a do you have a favorite external contribution? Like a uh, do you have like a favorite pizza you didn't order from the uh, from the community? A lot of a lot of the work that's been done on <laughs> Mac and Windows has been done by external people. Um, so you know, support volume support for uh, on a Mac. If you, it's interesting on Mac and Windows boxes. It's a um, volume mounting so volume mounting is when you take a directory from say your home directory and stick it into a container on a linux box it's, it's fairly simple it's just using bind mounts so the things built into linux kernel but if i'm sitting on a mac uh, machine and i take you know a directory from my home directory and i want to put it into a linux container i have to get that directory from my home machine mounted into the virtual machine first and then i mount from the virtual machine into the container so it's a fairly complicated process. And um, so uh, we've had uh, community members who've um, uh, come and you know, basically implemented that for us. They, they understood the way the uh, QMU worked it and it worked. And there's a file system called Plan 9 file system, a 9P um, that is built into uh, QMU that they can take disk disk partitions or um, files and directories off of a Mac and put them into, into inside of a VM. We're taking advantage of that. Now, uh, with that, I'm also working with the VertiOffice team inside of Red Hat to actually make VertiOffice as an alternative for that. So again, I'm throwing out heavy terms, but VertiOffice is a interesting project inside of, started by Red Hat to, um, allow for better sharing of, of file systems between virtual machine, you know, basically virtual machines or containers running under, under KVM and the host. Um, so it's an interesting problem when you have two kernels involved, right? So you have a kernel inside of your virtual machine and you have a kernel on your host and somehow you have to have files going back and forth between those two kernels um, in uh, normal, uh, you know, normally, people do this using network protocols like NFS and Flutter mm -hmm. and Ceps and other, um, you know, other file remote file systems. But those file systems, uh, you basically built the network protocol in. Um, but if I'm running locally, you know, you should be able to take care of, take advantage of the fact that you're running locally, and you might be able to get better performance. And so Red Hat worked on a project project called VertIOFS, which is basically a sort of a network file system that understands that it's just a virtual machine running on a local host. So it's share, sharing data between the local host and the virtual machine. And we're working heavily with them to, to improve the performance of, of volumes uh, for these use cases. Um, you know, similar to what I talked about, the uh, uh, confidential computing and um, topics like that, um, you know, ways of sharing content from a host into these virtual machine separated containers. Um, so that's going back to your question. So that's probably the biggest contribution we've gotten from community. But community, um, you know, we get, we get community contributions all the time, small, large, people fixing spelling mistakes and man pages, uh, all the way up to people adding major functionality like that um to containers and you know we've, we've actually been hired a few people that were contributors from the community so uh um it's always uh interesting and um uh, to see all the effort uh, there's a there's a current guy who's working on a, a podman tui which is a tui uh which is really really cool and the kid's doing a ton of work i call him a kid i call everybody a kid but um <laughs> he's doing <laughs> my age uh he's doing a ton of work on it and i'm not a huge TUI guy, but this kid's doing some tremendous work on this, uh, you know, full implementation of, and if you go to GitHub containers slash Podman TUI, um, and then there's people working on, you know, desktop versions of it. And, uh, there's, there's lots and lots of effort going on in the community. Um, and we're, we're trying to harness that as much as possible. Um, obviously, uh, competing against a huge install base like Docker is uh, uh, daunting, but uh, with the open source communities, you can uh, do some amazing stuff. So what's next? Another book? <laughs> um, no, I think I, I think I'll put away my uh, write, writing utensil for a little while, um, and uh, I'll, I'll stick to uh, 
uh, working and improving the technology. Uh, really, what I want to do at this point is just have the pandemic end and just get out and start talking to customers again. Yes. Um, I actually got a, 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 I've scheduled to talk at scale this summer out in uh, LA and I'm hoping to do some Red Hat Summit uh, in-person meets and greets next uh, next fall. And um, one, one of the, uh, I think, sad things about the um, pandemic is just the lack of uh, easy access to get engineers in front of customers and engineers in front of uh, sort of leaders in technology and get that um, continue that. Right? There's only so much so far you can take these Zoom meetings and or uh, you know Google Meets and uh, uh-huh. you know and sometimes you just have to be sitting with someone and and just you know chatting and all of a sudden someone brings up something and says, "Gee, that's interesting." Uh, random person comes up and starts talking about you know why do why does Podman do it this way and not this way and you know it's like. So that's when I'm dying to get back out there and uh, um, just start meeting up with people again. And, mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. So Gunnar, you got anything left? No, I said, you stole my question, which was kind of what's next. Um, are you sure you don't have like one more major project in you, Dan? Just like, a, I mean, you know, something that would really transform the Linux operating system. I mean, you've already fixed security and then you fixed application packaging. I don't yep. know. Maybe, maybe I'm just going to throw this out here. Desktop, maybe, yeah, desktop. maybe, maybe desktop. Yeah, I'll find, desktop. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll finally do the desktop. Actually, uh, have you ever played with Flatpak? That's actually kind of a neat way of doing um, uh, desktop stuff. But actually, there is a um, uh, some, something that's been happening on Fedora the last few years. It's called Silver Blue, which is a containerized operating system. Think of it as uh, sort of core OS uh, for your uh, desktop. Uh, and uh, what they what they're trying to do is to give you um, uh, different, you know, so you can run your different desktop applications inside of containers, and they can be running on their different uh, release cycles. So, say your Firefox version and your, uh, you know, your different apps on your desktop can be all running in, in separate containers. But the interesting thing, again, getting back to what I like to do in the terminal is uh, they can actually use a thing called Toolbox, which wraps Podman and launches uh, different workspaces. So you can be running, say you're running in Silverblue, you can run a, a CentOS stream workspace or a RHEL works for workspace. And you can go right into the, that workspace and just start installing uh, um, content you know, rel content and it will feel like you're in a rel uh, terminal and you can go in and you know another machine and do fedora or do another one at ubuntu and you can run all your applications those applications can talk to the desktop but each one of these is compartmentalized and separated from the others uh, via basically via rootless Bodman containers um, so that's kind of a um a, a way people if we could ever break people off of their addiction to Macs and Windows, um, you know, Silver Blue might be at least for the uh, enterprise uh, type mm-hmm. customers. It's an interesting uh, way of using an operating system. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. That's great. Hey Dan, I'm wondering, uh, is there Silver Blue always sound? I mean, I love Silver Blue. I love the idea of Silver Blue. I wish. I wish everybody was able to use a silver blue. Um, it solves a lot of problems. Why do you? Why do you suppose? It, uh, why do you suppose people haven't used silver? But, mm, let me try that again. Why do you suppose people haven't run in droves to, to silver blue yet? Is there a? Is there? Is it just that's they're not used to it? Or well, there is the there's the cult of the uh, you know dead fr- fruit on the back of a computer um, out there. So that's. <laughs> Uh, that's that's one reason people just love their their Macs for some reason. Although I have a I have a Mac uh, sitting next to me here that uh, you know, sad to say I have to work on every so often for Podman uh, desktop, but uh, I actually don't enjoy it. But uh, but anyways, I think that's part of it, and I think uh, and then you have the whole corporate culture that you know that people like to uh, manage environments, want to have sort of a monoculture and and. You know, there's a huge install base of Windows and Macs, so 
it's hard to break into that. But uh, over time, I think it's starting to grow. Um, and, you know, you never know if Red Hat had a supported version of it. Um, you know, maybe uh, people would want to look into it. But uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it and, you know, continue to, to work in, on it and play with it. And, uh, but, you know, have, having uh, the whole CoreOS type uh, environment where your operating system can get updated um, at separate time frames than your individual applications is a, a very attractive, uh, you know, uh, way of, of looking at the world, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Keep your operating system stable and make your applications, you know, don't have to be as stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's easy to switch back and forth. Yeah. One, one last thing uh, you would ask about uh, another community that we're heavily involved in is and uh, and probably types of people who listen to you two uh, is called high, high performance computing. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, so we've been dealing. Uh, high performance computing has been uh, is an interesting field in that. Uh, most of the time when we look at containers at scale, we're talking about running hundreds of different apps on hundreds of different nodes. So if you think of the Kubernetes world where you're taking, you know, a, a web service and you want to have you know, multiple front ends and maybe multiple databases and you're, you know, that's sort of what the Kubernetes is built around. Uh, high performance computing is, is usually one app and thousands and thousands of nodes. So, you know, mm-hmm. what 4,000 nodes uh, looking at satellite data and trying to, you know, decipher, um, you know, changes in, in crop um, crops and things like that. So, the uh, high performance computing is is all about thousands and thousands of nodes, and it, it tends to be more in security conscious world. So, one of the things that high performance computing um, established many years ago is that they won't allow any root privileges running on these these environments just because they tend to work with highly sensitive data um and because of that when docker first came out um the um you know docker was frowned upon because they couldn't deal with the root running container um and so there was a a a company and a, a product came about called singularity and singularity was a sort of a different way of running containers, um, but it could run rootless mode. Um, and so a lot of the HPC community went towards this singularity and they're really sort of out there on an island by themselves. You know, the rest of the world's dealing with OCI based containers and uh, you know, Kubernetes is OCI and everything else. And when Podman came about being rootless mode, the HPC community started to come around and, you know, look at Podman as a mechanism for them to be able to take advantage of all the you know new features that are coming in the uh, in the OCI world in this you know, standards world so they've really started to adopt uh, uh, podman heavily but it's the, their community has a very uh, has some difficult problems to to be solved um, one of the interesting things about uh, um, if you had one uh, say image, uh, you know, an application image sitting out on shared storage and all of a sudden you have 4,000 nodes simultaneously hit that one image and attempt to either pull it locally or to use it remotely. Um, they found huge performance hits by that. And so we've been working heavily with the community to figure out the best way that we could enhance Podman to be able to satisfy their workload. And, and we've been pretty successful uh, in uh, adding features for the HPC community, and um, now we're seeing some real up. You know, we're working with the Department of Energy um, and a few other agencies, um, and now we're seeing lots of uh, people interested in Podman and in Europe. And um, in fact, I have uh, a, a three-letter company that's uh, very interested in talking to me about that. And, um, so there's a lot of interest in the HPC community around using Podman for for containers. So it's a um, uh, keep keep your eye on that. Um, so, Podman will be running on the fastest craze in the world to launch their mm-hmm. containerized works workstations and things. So, my work workloads. And uh, one of the problems that those communities have with something like Kubernetes is that Kubernetes um, its its scheduler algorithm is not 
built the way um, they, you know, does it doesn't isn't optimized for their use case where, you know, launch one at one container on four thousand nodes instantaneously, um, and that, um, so that's why they're really looking at Podman at this point. Uh, but it'd be interesting years years down the line to see if Kubernetes slows slowly grows into those type of environments now that like Podman showing the way. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. That's great. That's great. I mean, there's so much stuff going on. I love it. Yeah, it's exciting. Linux is not done. No, Linux. Is, <laughs> Linux is by. <laughs> I, I tell everybody who's asked me what I do. I say I work on Linux, and I say, "Well, what, what's that?" And I say, "Well, every computer you've ever touched, that other than the one on your desktop, is probably running Linux." So mm -hmm. <laughs> the ones in your vehicles, the ones on your, you know, every other computer in your house, and uh, pretty much every website that you go to, or every place you go online is running Linux. So it's and containers are now becoming the new way that you do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. So Dan, as, as we wrap up here, um, you talked about a lot of things, uh, and, and so we put them all in the show notes here. Uh, what website should we send them to, uh, which is coincidentally your homepage uh, yes. on your web yeah. browser? Uh, where yes. should we send them? Uh, well, it's the only site I, you know, it's basically where I launch all my, uh, my you know launch out of all the time which is that dgshow.org yeah nice dave is in uh dave and g is in gunner I mean, d is in dave and g is in gunner show.org awesome i need to work awesome. need to work on my uh sales page <laughs> we need you more practice do, yeah you, you know what you do again you just do it uh once a week for five years and uh, and it just it, it'll just come right out. It flows off the time. Huh? <laughs> yeah, just do it. Yeah, roll right out. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, we shouldn't wait two more years to do this again. Yeah, I agree for sure. I agree. We got to check in on. Uh, we got to check in on your next book. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, hey, thanks for joining us, and thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, everyone.